We've been on a, a journey of joy through the book of Philippians. We have discovered that joy is supernatural. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from God. It uh, is driven by the Holy Spirit. And joy has nothing to do with chance or circumstances. That's happiness. You know, I'll be happy when you can fill in the blank. But joy is that deep, abiding confidence in your relationship with God that brings peace, but this joy, this contentment. And you know that he's always got your back because you and him, if we can use today's vernacular, are tight. You guys are, are, are together. And we also discovered that our level of spiritual maturity corresponds to our level of joy do you remember that sermon that our spiritual maturity if it's high that means our joy is high if we're we're very immature spiritually our joy is going to be down so i have a slide for you heather can you throw the first slide up there joy can come through relationships no i got that out of order let's do the next slide how about this slide it's your closeness, your intimacy to Jesus that determines the level of your joy. Now, there are many reasons and occasions for you to rejoice. And to rejoice means that you're filled with gladness, you're filled with joy. So when you hear rejoice in the Lord always, it's saying have joy in the Lord, have joy or gladness in Him. And there are so many times in the New Testament that this word rejoice is used. And here are just some of them. And, and now you can just relax on the slides because we're not going to put another slide up there for a long time. Uh, but here are some biblical occasions for rejoicing. And again, rejoicing means to be filled with gladness and, and contentedness. It says to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, scripture says rejoice that he became uh, human, that he, he, the incarnation happened. We are to rejoice, be glad that he has power power over anything in your life that is is affecting you a storm he has the power to calm the sea the wind and the storm in your life it says that we're to rejoice that his presence is with the father and then also it says rejoice because his presence with you that he is in you and filling you and we're to rejoice and triumph in his triumph over sin and the grave we are to rejoice at just hearing the gospel. We are to rejoice at our own salvation. We are supposed to get woohoo about that. We rejoice when we see others make decisions for Jesus. We rejoice that our name is written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. You, we rejoice that you have freedom in Christ. No longer do you have to work your way to God's pleasure or work your way to salvation. We have freedom that has been taken away from us because Jesus is our everything and we rejoice. We rejoice at our hope in Christ. We rejoice that our reward is waiting for us in heaven where no thief can steal and, and, and rust can destroy it. We rejoice at the obedience and godly conduct of other believers, our brothers and sisters. We rejoice in the suffering for the name of Christ, for righteousness' sake. We rejoice for suffering for the sake of the gospel. We rejoice in persecutions and trials and afflictions. We rejoice in meeting with other fellow believers. We rejoice in receiving gifts of love and fellowship. 
And are there not a lot of references to rejoicing in the New Testament? I'm just reading a partial list. Rejoice with others who are rejoicing. Rejoice when you find out good things are happening to other people. Now, in this letter to the Philippians, we have discovered that Paul has had some bad circumstances. Trials, tribulations, afflictions, he's suffering, he's in prison, he's been beaten, he's in jail, so to speak, he's chained to a guard, he has been suffering. Yet, in spite of all of his suffering, he is full of joy. He is full of joy. Nothing is going to steal his joy. Then we found out in earlier part of Philippians that the Philippians are suffering too. Uh, if you have your Bibles open to Philippians, you can look there. At the very end of chapter 1, it says this, don't be frightened by the people that oppose you. So they've got some people that are ragged on them. And he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And then he says, verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? To suffer for his sake. And you're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had when I lived in your town, and now you have in your town. So the Philippians are suffering, Paul is suffering, and they're in need of some joy. Now we've read some biblical reasons why we should be glad and rejoice, but today Paul is going to talk about three things, three different things, three more reasons a Christian should be full of joy. Three areas that God uses to bring the comfort of joy and gladness into our heart. Now, since joy is rooted in our relationship with God, it is only natural that God can bring joy then through other people, through other relationships. Now, he's the source of your joy. But he can use you and 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 you. He can use any one of us that are willing to be then a source of of joy to another human being, to another believer in Christ. So God is going to use your relationships to bring joy to other people. So let's get to our text. And while we're getting to our text, turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to have just a little object lesson. I'm not cooking eggs. Don't, don't, don't get there. Let's turn chapter 2, verse 17. He says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you, with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, he says he's being poured out like a drink offering. doesn't mean he's about to die because he's already said, hey, I hope to come see you. And if God has his way, I am going to come see you. And so he is referencing, and it's also present tense, it's not future tense. He's saying, I am being poured out in my suffering. I am being poured out upon this altar, so to speak. Now, before we get to a point, we have to have a little background on Old Testament sacrifices because Paul is referencing what happens if you were to go to temple and this let, let's say uh, let me pick on on Matt you haven't been here you you get to be picked on Matt decides that he needs 
to go before the Lord. He goes to temple and he places uh, an animal, to, gives it to the priest. The priest prepares it and then puts it on the altar. The altar is hot. It's burning. And all of a sudden you start smelling barbecue. So anytime you walk into the temple, you are smelling. Have you ever walked through your neighborhood and you're like, ooh, somebody's barbecuing. You, why? You can smell steak or you can smell ham. Smell something on the barbecue. That's what would happen. So Matt comes, he places his offering, the priest prepares it. It's a burnt offering. And there were different kinds of offerings, but it always went on the fire. And then the final act you would take a cup of wine and you would go over there and you would pour that cup of wine onto the fire and you know what's going to happen, don't you? That wine is going to vaporize and it's just going to rise towards heaven and it's going to smell awesome. It's just going to rise towards heaven. Now, Paul's been suffering for the gospel and he knows the Philippians have been suffering too. Now, like Job, we all know who Job is, and if you don't, you should read about him. Suffering, not because you've done something wrong, but just because you're being picked on, because you're God's child, by the enemy, by the world. But here he says, your suffering is like the burnt offering. Go back to the text. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, not the main offering, the drink offering, upon your main offering, I am glad. I am filled with joy to suffer with you. He says he'd gladly suffer in this way, way along with them. And it actually brings him joy to, to participate with them in affliction. So over here, I've got this pan that's, that's heated. And, and uh, this is, I hope it's hot enough. Oh, yeah. It's actually too hot, and I do not want to ruin this pan. So Paul says this. I am a drink offering, and I am being poured out upon your suffering is my suffering. And do you know what's happening? Do you see the steam? Do you see it vaporizing up? Okay, I'm going to turn that off, but you can just see. That, that's what you would have seen at the temple. This is what Paul says. He says, you're suffering. I'm suffering. I'm pouring my suffering on top of your suffering because I want to participate with you in your suffering. And you think, why in the world do you want to do that? Because my suffering and your suffering is a pleasant aroma that rises up to God. And when that reaches God, you know what that tells God? When your suffering reaches God, he says, well, what you're telling him is, I trust you, God, and I trust you alone. I am suffering, but I trust you. No matter what, my faith, our faith, is in you and you alone. That's what this offering of suffering is. Paul is, is quantifying it and says, just because you're suffering doesn't mean it's, it's empty, that it has no purpose. God is actually receiving praise and glory 
And I'm joining you in this as it rises to heaven. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember those three guys in the Old Testament? They said what? Throw us into the fiery furnace because we will not bow down to anyone but the true living God. Do you think God was pleased with that? Yeah, he was. Do you think God was pleased with Job when Job's friend said, you've done something wrong, that's why God's getting you. And Job is like, hey, I haven't done anything wrong. That wasn't an offering of suffering. That was, hey God, what are you doing to me? Instead of saying, God, I don't know what your purpose is for me in my life, but I, I, I hope that this offering of suffering rises up to you. And that it tells you, I trust in you. No matter if my finances is a wreck. No matter if my marriage is a wreck. No matter if my body is racked with pain. All the suffering, all the afflictions, all the trials, all the tribulations, I still am offering you my praise. And it rises up to God. You ever, get, you ever read something in Scripture and it just kind of makes you feel uncomfortable? Say Amen. Because you have. You've read something in Scripture that's made you feel uncomfortable. And one of those places is Psalm 116, where it says, Precious is the death of what? Of my saints. Why? Because when we willingly suffer for the sake of Jesus, not because you're a criminal. You don't suffer because you're a jerk. You're suffering because of righteousness' sake. Do you know it's a fragrant aroma that rises up to God and He is well-pleased? He is well pleased. Paul is saying, we're in this together. The world is beating you up just like they beat up Jesus. But that doesn't mean the Lord doesn't care. You got your Bibles? Put your thumb in Philippians. Turn to Psalm 6. Turn to Psalm 6. It'll be worth it. If you have your electronic device, just go to Psalm 6. Because the Lord does care that he watches his children suffer. Psalm 6 says this. I'll read the whole thing. It's only 10 verses, but I want you to catch the essence of it. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. I'm suffering. I'm in affliction. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. And then the psalmist, David, who wrote this, says, But you, O Lord, how long do I have to suffer? And then he says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Is this guy in a bad way? Is this guy suffering? Is this guy hurting? Is his body aching? Are all the things, his enemies accomplishing what they want to him? Verse 7, my eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all of my foes. And then he says, but you better flee. I love this. He says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. You better, you better flee, you who cause my suffering, because the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plead. The Lord accepts my prayer. 
all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled, and they shall turn their back and be put to shame in a moment. That, that was, was a very clear there. Uh, in a, just in a moment. So here's the very first fill in the blank. It took me a long time to get there, but I want you to see it because it's there in the text, and here it is. We can rejoice in Paul or people like Paul in our life. And Paul is saying through this whole illustration about you're the main offering, I, I am suffering along with you. You are not alone in your suffering. God is there and He's going to put others in your life to share with you that burden that you're carrying. Paul says this, we're in it together. And that creates a very, very special kind of bond. And you know the kind of bond I'm talking about? Well, you've heard about it. You might have experienced it. You go through a suffering together with a group of people, or you go through a tragic event with a group of people, and you know what happens to your hearts? Your hearts kind of get knitted together, don't they? You talk about men that spent a month, six months, a year in a foxhole fighting an enemy. Do you not think they become a band of brothers? They are suffering together, and then there's a unique bond between them for the rest of their lives. Are you with me on that? Can, can you see that? They become a band of brothers? Or how about this? A tornado goes through your town, and you lost everything, your neighbors lose everything, and suddenly you have a bond of suffering that is inseparable, right? Or you go to the oncology unit, People take chemo together. Or your kidneys have failed and you go to dialysis every morning at 4.30 or every other day and there's a group of people that are suffering exactly like you. Do you know those people are a source of joy for you? Because they're in it with you. The main offering and then another offering because together we're suffering. And we bring joy to one another. Now, you've heard misery loves company, right? Yeah, that's not a biblical phrase. A better phrase is, is when you're suffering and I'm suffering together, we're a source of joy for one another. Somehow God has given us people that are walking the same path, that are in the same financial situation, or the same parenting issues, or the same whatever it is, and you have these people that are a source of joy for you. In fact, remember the very beginning of this church, the Philippian church? Where's Paul and Silas? They're in jail. It's midnight. What are they doing? They're singing praises to God. They're full of joy which they shouldn't have been. They had just been beaten, put in stocks. Their blood is oozing out of their sores. Their body aches. They're bruised. And what are they doing? They're praising the Lord. They're full of joy. Why? I think because they were together. See, when you get isolated in your suffering, your head has a chance to do a head job on you, right? But when you find another person like Paul that comes alongside you and says, you know, we're, we're in this together. This is rough. This is rough. Let's go, let's go back to the text and, and, and pick up the, the next one. Verses 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, that I may rejoice. 
For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not of Jesus Christ. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Why does he say that? Because they know Timothy. Timothy was, it has been in Philippi. They, they know him. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. Here's the next fill in the blank. We rejoice that we don't go through our suffering alone. There are like-minded people. But we rejoice in the Timothys in our life. Others care that you are suffering. That's huge when you're in the midst of something. When you're in the midst of pain to know that somebody wants to give you empathy or sympathy, it's huge. Because not everybody cares about your troubles. You can say amen to that. People have become so self-centered and so selfish today that nobody cares about anybody but themselves. But Timothy, go back to the text, verse 20, I have no one like him. I have no one like him. He's unique. He's a kindred spirit. He understands you. He understands your pain. He knows your faults. He knows your weaknesses, but he also knows your strength. And he just loves you. He just takes you as you are. He just cares about you. There is no one like him. And then he goes on and he says, and he actually is authentic. He genuinely cares about you. Don't you love it when you talk to people that, that, that you know could care less about you? That's like their job to be nice to you. You're at customer service. You're a... I'm going to pick on my wife for a second. She works customer service. God bless her. Because there are some people that you go up to customer service and they're just another number and they just got to push you down the line and they don't really care to solve your problem. And then there are customer service people like my wife who really are trying to listen to your heart and try to really fix your problem he's genuinely concerned about the Philippians and the suffering that they're going through. Hearts are focused on Jesus and not themselves. It's not a, it, this, go back to this phrase, Timis, but, verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. He's not a one-off. He's seasoned. Day in, day out, encouraging, sympathetic, able to help you see God in the midst of your affliction. He's not going through the affliction, but he has the ability to come alongside you and help you see God's perspective in that. And we all need that. We, need, we all need sounding boards, don't we? Otherwise, we, the next party we're throwing is a pity party. And that's not healthy, that's not good. God sends us Timothys into our life that are caring, loving, seasoned, that point us in the right direction. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to read The Hiding Place by Corey Tim Boom. It's an old book, but it was very popular during the 70s. Let me just share with you an incident. Now, Corey Tim Boom and her sister Betsy, along with her dad and her brother, are sent to a Nazi concentration camp separately, but the girls are together. Betsy and Corey are together. 
Now they are sent to a concentration camp because they were hiding Jews. And they got caught. And they were sent off to the concentration camp. And at this particular story, and I forget if it happens at Ravensburg, but they're sent to Germany. They're sent to a concentration camp. And Betsy was Corey's Timothy. Someone that came alongside her to help her in her affliction, helping Corey to find joy in the midst of suffering. And this is what happens. Betsy was praying and thanking Jesus for the lice that was in the barracks. But she didn't stop there. She thanked Jesus and said, thank you for the lice that is in our beds, in the straw. She didn't stop there. Thank you, Jesus, for the lice that lives in my hair and in my clothes and is on my skin. And Corey Tin Boom flipped out. She's mad at her sister. And she's like, I've reached the breaking point. How in the world can you be joyful that we have lice everywhere? Here's the Timothy part. The seasoned, loving, caring response to help someone who is in the middle of suffering. And she said this, Corey, 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 don't you realize that the guards don't come into our barracks? And because they do not come into our barracks because of the lies, we hold Bible studies every day and people are coming to know Jesus. Corey, Corey, do you not understand that because our beds are full of lice, the guards will not come in and search our beds and we still have our Bibles. We still have the vitamins that you snuck in here to help the other prisoners. Corey, Corey, don't you realize because your hair and your clothes are infested with lice, no one in our barrack has been raped? Suddenly, Corey had a different perspective and said, thank you, Jesus, for the lies. See, we need Timothys in our life so that when we are suffering, there's someone that's godly, someone that's seasoned, someone that has the Word, somebody that has the Holy Spirit to be able to direct our thoughts to see God's perspective because as God says, you are precious as your aroma rises up to me that says, I trust you and you alone. Joy comes through those other relationships. We have Pauls that come alongside us because we're suffering the same thing. And we have Timothys. And then we have a guy named Epaphras, or Epaphroditus. He's, he's named after a Greek god. Let's go to the text. Verse 25. And I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest, here's the part you want to underline if you like to underline in your Bible, lest I should have sorrow upon what? Sorrow. 
I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now we don't know much about Epaphroditus, except for that he's named after the Greek god, Aphrodite. And when the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison and he couldn't make tents anymore and he, he was running out of money, they, get, they took an offering. The Philippian church said, hey guys, let's take a big offering and let's send it to Paul so that we can help him in his ministry. And so they took an offering and Epaphroditus said, I'll take it. And he took it and not only was he going to take it, he was going to become Paul's servant and do whatever Paul needed. So we can assume that he was a godly man because he's representing the Philippian church. He leaves his town. He leaves his friends. He leaves his family. We don't know if he was married. We don't know if he left his children. But he left to go and be Paul's servant. And we can also assume that we know what he is getting himself into. Paul's in prison because he's a Christian. And here... Epiditus, Ephroditus goes and he's going to be in, kind of in the same position. It's a little risky move for him to go. He may find harassment. He might find persecution, but he's willing to go. Now look at the relationships that we see quickly. Paul sends him back because the church is worried about him. Ephroditus doesn't want them to worry about him, so he wants to go back to show everybody, I'm okay, I didn't die. And Paul wants to fill them with joy since they thought he did die. Because you know how communications is. They're thinking that their good buddy, Ephroditus, has died. And so they're, they're heartbroken and, and, the, and he's stressed out over it. So you see the, these relationships are very all loving, very all kind. So you rejoice in Paul. You rejoice in Timothy. And here's the fourth, I mean the third. Rejoice in Ephroditus. God is merciful to those who are suffering. Remember I told you that verse? Go back to it. Now, you've heard it say this. It's verse 27. That God won't give you more than you can handle. Have any, raise your hand if you've ever heard that verse. Or not that verse, but you've heard that phrase. God will not give you more than you can handle. There's no place in Scripture that says it like that. But I think this is the closest place that it does. Where God says, I will not give you sorrow upon sorrow because you can't handle it. Even though you do handle sorrow in his strength. Paul says, I just couldn't handle the sorrow that would come. God shows mercy to those who are suffering. And Ephroditus was used by God to bring joy to others. People are placed in your life to bring joy to you from God, even in the midst of trials and affliction. And I believe that you can be an Ephroditus to someone else. That you bring joy to somebody. I, I know this sounds crazy, but I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way. Ephroditus wasn't an apostle like Paul. He wasn't Timothy who was a preacher and a church planner and somebody special. Ephroditus was a common, lowly guy that loved people. And he brought joy to people through that love. Here's where I was going with it, and I don't know if you've ever thought of this, that do animals bring you joy? 
Do you have a cat? Not that cats really qualify, but that's another thing. Let's talk about dogs. All you cat lovers are, God bless you. God bless you. But you know how a dog is so affectionate to you? Dogs just love you for what you are. You don't have to hold a position. You don't have to impress them. They just love you. That's Epaphroditus. He just loved people, and he was a joy to people, just like an animal can be a joy to you. And maybe you've been called, you rejoice in Paul, you rejoice in Timothy, you rejoice in, a, in an Aphroditus. Man, that guy's hard, his name is hard for me to say. But look at verse 1 of chapter 3. What does it say? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Do you see that? See, it ties it all up for us. Rejoice in the Pauls that come along and suffer with you. Rejoice in the Timothys. They're not suffering with you, but boy, they're a sympathetic ear. They come along and help you get through rough times. And then there are the Epiroditus. Rejoice in those guys. They just are lovely people that fill you with joy. They fill you with comfort. They fill you. And finally, rejoice where? In whom? In the Lord. He's rejoice, rejoice, rejoice because God loves you. Even when you're suffering and you are giving him an offering of suffering that rises up that says, God, I trust you even though I'm in a terrible spot. Let me finish with this because I need to. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. If you've got a pen, underline this. Romans chapter 15, Paul is wrapping up this incredible book called the book of Romans. He's in his benediction mode, and he says this in verse 13. It is amazing. It is amazing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Goes back to that altar so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in, what does your version say? Hope. Joy comes through other people and you can be a conduit of joy. It's not about your talent. It's about your relationship. Loving people in the midst of their suffering. And then it comes back to you. And when you are loved in the middle of your suffering, it fills you, according to this verse, with peace, but also hope. Precious is the death of God's saints because their life is an offering of praise to Him that we trust Him and Him alone. Let me pray. Father God.